Welcome to this episode of Care You, where we challenge and encourage listeners to be intentional and embed a practice of reflection into your caregiving. It is our intention that the contents of this podcast are accessible and meet you where you are on your caregiving journey in a non-blaming and non-shaming way. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the show. show. Stephanie. Hi, Don. How are you? I'm good. I'm really, really excited about this episode today. Yeah, so we are, uh, this is kind of a continuation of the last episode, the parenting style episode, and we thought it would be good to have a guest on. Uh, So we ask Dr. Craig Smock, the superintendent of the Morton School District, on to talk about parenting styles. Yeah, and before we have him do that, let's share a little bit about Dr. Smock. So Dr. Smock started his career as a math teacher, and then he went to um, the role of a high school principal, then to assistant superintendent in Morton in 2007, and now currently this school year, he's our superintendent. That's his um, professional career, but why don't you share a little bit, Don, with everyone about his um, personal journey and why we would ask him to be on Care You. Yeah, he actually has uh, three kids, um, two daughters and a son, and they all three went through the Morton School District. Um, I had the opportunity to have one of them um, in class. And so, again, we thought that it would be good when we're talking about parenting styles, what better way to have a superintendent of a pre-K to 12 school district come in and talk about parenting styles from both the lens of a superintendent as well as a father. And so we hope you enjoy the interview that we did with Dr. Schmuck. Yeah, enjoy. All right, well, welcome to the studio, Dr. Schmuck. Thank you for having me. I mean, you were partly responsible for this studio, so thank you. You're very Um, welcome. So as uh, we... We gave you some questions um, ahead of time, and so we're just going to kind of ask these questions, and we'll we'll see where it takes us. Um, The first one, and we put this in, I think, is like a reflection question in the episode. Um, How can you up the or how can I up the odds that my kids will do great when I'm no longer around them? Well, I think that's an excellent question. You know, listening to your previous episode, it really made me think a lot about parenting. And it made me think, and one thing that really resonated with me that you said is often parenting is kind of on the fly and not really intentional or reflective. You don't always ask yourself as parents, why am I doing it this way or that way? Sometimes you're just going with the flow of what other parents are doing. So first of all, thank you for even the opportunity of the discussion of parenting and just trying to help all parents be intentional and reflective and and thinking about the impact of of their parenting style. So... Um, that question you ask, you know, it kind of, it kind of talks about independence, right? So how do I help my children be as independent as possible? And to me, that's the key to parenting because you're just not always going to be there with them. So how do you do that in a safe and thoughtful way? And I think that's just an outstanding question. How do we get them to be independent? How do we get them to be resilient? And so... That's a question we should all be asking ourselves. Is there anything that you can think of in your journey that you did to be intentional about that? Well, that's a good question. I don't think I was nearly as intentional as I wish I had been as a parent. I really feel like I was one of those parents that was 
parenting on the fly, you know, you take a little bit of what you experienced from your own parents and you incorporate that into your parenting style. You, of course, oftentimes you'll have a spouse that you ha- that you are parenting with, and that might that spouse might come from a different parenting style mentality, and so you have to kind of meld those two together. Sometimes you don't always agree, and uh, and sometimes you don't always parent identically the same, and maybe that's a good thing. So, uh, I'm I'm going to take that chuckle as you didn't always agree. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think one of the questions you, you kind of posed in the last episode was, what, what is my parenting style or what kind of parenting style do I have? And I thought about that a lot as I listened to the last episode. And I think I, think I was more authoritarian uh, and kind of tempered by my wife's style a little bit. So the kind of specifics that I think about is, I would have had my kids walk to school way earlier than we allowed them to, I think. Um, that that idea of independence, getting kids outside, getting them, um, you know, walking to school and, and getting up on their own. One, one example I think of uh, was with my, one of my children had trouble getting up in the morning. And my wife would always wake her up in the morning to make sure she wasn't tardy for school. And I always kind of thought, are we really doing my daughter justice by continually to save her from the consequence talked about natural consequences in the last episode, but saving her from that consequence of receiving a tardy and how embarrassing that might be for my daughter, and but saving her from that, what did that really do? Did that really teach a long-standing lesson about being on time and being responsible and making sure your alarm works? So it's things like that that maybe um, my wife and I didn't always agree on. They're not major things, but they're minor things. Or when do you let your child walk to school or ride a bike out of your sight and things like that? What, um, like, let's take that walking. That's an interesting one to me because growing up, and I think we're about the same age. I mean, we were riding our bike and walking at, I don't know, maybe three. No, I'm just kidding. Not three. But, I mean, pretty young. And I lived about uh, three quarters of a mile from school. I don't. I mean, my parents had no thought, I think, of just, yeah, walk to school in the morning. There was no bus because you were three-quarters of a mile away. What kept you from letting your kids walk to school? Like, what was it fear? Was it? I think it is fear. I think, I think parents nowadays worry a lot more about the safety of their children than my parents did or our, the previous generation did. I had two loving parents. They cared deeply about me, but there were long spans of time when they didn't know where I was at and they didn't know what I was doing. And I was out doing sometimes some risky things, climbing trees and, you know, riding your bike, building bike ramps and uh, doing all kinds of things they have no idea about. So, but in, in our generation of parenting, my generation of parenting, there's a lot of thought that goes into safety of our children and security and knowing where they are and what they're doing. And sometimes that prevents, sometimes I think there's some negative consequences to that, Uh, preventing the independence of kids and letting them kind of explore their world. So I, like you, Don, uh, at a very young age, I remember even first or second grade walking several blocks to school. 
with without my parents, uh, you know, following behind. And when I think, okay, so how did I raise my children? It was probably maybe they were in sixth or seventh grade before, or fifth or sixth grade, I think I would say, before we finally said, okay, we need to let them walk to school. It's beautiful weather out. We lived two blocks from the school. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask that, actually. So two blocks. Two blocks, where I know I've walked way longer than that at a very young age. Yeah. And you hear that. People talk about, oh, when my grandparents are sharing, they lived this far away, and they had to go over the hills and through the woods and all the snow. and up Uphill both ways. Uphill both yeah. ways. But um, I think that's emphasized now because there is a drastic difference between the way it was, especially walking to school, and now. Um, for many of reasons that you brought up, I, I was reading something or listening to a pod, another podcast actually, and it was talked about in the 1980s is there was this safety shift, bike helmets, seat belts, yeah. car seats for kids. I mean, not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but the idea that we shifted to we have to control the environment for our, our children to keep them safe, and it was an interesting um, thought process as I was like, okay, in the eighties, that's when this, and stranger danger was another one that was brought up. And so you're bringing up the safety thing. And I think it's a legitimate fear because it's a society, a lot of pushes from societal. I don't think people are just waking up thinking, I'm going to be afraid that my kid's going to get hurt today. Um, so that's where it comes in the non-blaming. I think it's really important to think about why we have put our kid in a car seat and, and those things aren't bad. Yeah. Well, and I think we've talked about this before, Stephanie, that statistically we are safer today than we were when we grew up. And yeah. so that's what it's almost this, it, you know, I can, it, like the whole stranger danger thing. I can remember thinking even when my kids were growing up, I don't think that's healthy. Like there's the, got to be this balance. Like you want people you want your kids to interact and talk to people. And so we tried to set boundaries of here's what you do. Here's what's inappropriate. If you're talking to somebody, don't take things from them. Don't, you know, that whole idea of don't take candy from strangers. Eh, that's probably a pretty decent thing. Um, but I don't know where, yeah, I think there is that fear. And then there's also, and I don't know how you feel about this, Dr. Smock, but the idea of, how others are going to view you. Like, I want to let my kids walk to school, but what are what are the moms and dads, the other caregivers in the neighborhood, what are they going to think if my seven-year-old is riding their bike or walking? Well, and you gave an excellent example of that in the last episode about the winter coat. So <laughs> your child doesn't want to wear a winter coat, that or they forget it, and you say, well, that, there's a natural consequence to that. You'll be cold. But then your child's going to walk to school. or They don't have their coat. Other parents are going to see that child without a coat and think, Who, who's that child's parents, and how did they let that happen? So you're right. There's definitely that thought of judgment from other parents and kind of a general expectation. Same thing with food. Uh, did your child eat breakfast, so they're going to go to school hungry, and then the teacher thinks, well, this – this uh, the set of parents aren't really responsible with their kid and, and making sure they, they feed them. So it's definitely on a parent's mind. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Um, you've given a lot of good examples about your uh, parenting style, but has your perspective on the styles changed over the years? And if so, do you have any s- explicit examples on how? You know, as 
kind of from the superintendent's lens, you look at what has happened, what has been trending in the last few years, and even prior to the pandemic, all the social-emotional issues that kids have experienced, and it forces you to think about what has caused that, what's been happening over the last decade or two that's led us to this point. And again, that's even pre-pandemic. And I come to two conclusions in my own mind. Just We know we've got technology and kid, that's in kids' hands and what they're experiencing with that. And the other is parenting and how that's changed. And it kind of made me think, like, what, what changed with parenting? Again, some of what I've already talked about was just thinking back, what did my parents allow me to do? What did I have to navigate as a child? And one of those examples is just the, the fact that I think today kids are very well scheduled and monitored by their parents. So in my day, when I was going to go out to play on a Saturday, my parents had no idea exactly, well, maybe some idea of where I was going, but not what I was doing or who was, who was I going to meet up with. And we'd go around the neighborhood and we'd collect up as many people as we could to try to put a wiffle ball game together. And you, you would create that yourself. There wouldn't be a referee. There wouldn't be an adult there. You'd have to put your rules together uh, of how you're going to play because you don't have enough players. So uh, do kids nowadays know what, uh, what that means to pick up a game and to have, to have to make special rules, ghost runners and pitcher's hand and things like that? I, on that same podcast I was talking about earlier, they mentioned a new term to me, and it's called concierge parenting. And I'm going to tell you, guilty as charged. Um, it's exact opposite of what you're saying. It's when we create a play date for our kid and then sit with, usually it would be with a friend, and intervene in all the moments instead of letting them figure it out. Um, the play date thing, I think, is newer. And, and it was totally, it was what I did with my, my kids. And take them to the zoo, but take them to the zoo and stand with them and look at everything with them. And there's no opportunity for... Your wiffle ball game is a perfect example. We have to have an issue and then solve that problem and then move on instead of solving it for them. Um, and I know it definitely when my kids were younger, I was a concierge parent. Yeah, I, we were just talking about this before we started recording. And I, I'm sure we were, but I can remember that being intentional. Like we don't have to... Um, and that podcast talks about how the parents are always playing with their kids and feeling like I have to be on the floor with them every minute of the day playing with them. And I don't remember, and I had great loving parents. I remember my dad sitting down and we'd play Legos or we'd play Atari or something like that. But they didn't, they weren't with me constantly. They weren't, and, and to your point of like on a Saturday I mean, we'd go, I'd be gone. I mean, sometimes I wouldn't come home because I'd be spending the night at a friend's house later that night. But I can remember navigating certain situations where I'd be like, okay, is this wise? Should I be doing this? What if my parents found out? I mean, I can remember. And sometimes I didn't take my musings and I did it. And then somehow my parents found out. I have no idea how they found out because that's the other thing is all the other neighbors were kind of your parent as well. But I think, I don't know, It I do remember those times where I was like navigating, is this the right thing to do? And I think that probably helped. It probably helped develop my sense of right and wrong and I don't know. 
And let me just go back to this, me calling myself out for being a concierge parent. I'll just, you said that that's been a shift along with technology. Well, I have an eighth grade son and I think he is starving for constant stimulation. And I am going to take the owner, my husband and I will take the ownership of the the technology piece plus the, we were concierging to him, like rolling out the red carpet and filling every moment and thinking that was what we should do because, I mean, it was the best intentions, just like I believe all care- caregivers have. But I liked that you brought that up because it really, I'm, I'm convicted again. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but I'm convicting myself too because I didn't and do as well at this as, as I could have with my own children. And again, you know, you, so you, you think, how does this connect to the social-emotional concerns that kids are experiencing today? Well, I, you know, in the the play date that you set up yourself as a child, your parents weren't involved, you had to navigate a lot of conflict. So you had whatever kids you could put together for a game, you'd have disagreements about the rules, you would have, um, you know, arguments, or you'd have to make up the rules, a lot of creativity had to go into that, and there was no adult to referee it. And I think through that process, you learned how to navigate your peers, and you learned how to be resilient you would get hurt, and there was no one there to put a Band-Aid on you. And you had to make a decision. Am I done for the day, or can I play through this? You'd have to make a decision in an argument. Okay, I could sit here and continue to argue with Don about whether that was a foul or not, or and I maybe I don't, I'd prefer not to play with Don, but I need him to be part of this game. I need another yeah. person. Plus, he bought the he brought the best bat. Oh yeah, I was going to say, or the glove, or the yeah. So he has the cool equipment, <laughs> and so I have to navigate that in my own mind. Okay, how do I get through this? And there's no parent to help me through that. And so, what it, the resilience and the coping skills that kids learned naturally through those circumstances without uh, oversight, uh, adult oversight, I think was just priceless, and we probably didn't recognize that. And I think today maybe we've traded safety and security for some of those uh, positive consequences that came from a lack of supervision. I can't help but think of the things you're bringing up that is coming up for me as the self-awareness piece. And if you're self-aware, then you can be a better teammate in in what you're talking about in the game. Um, And then Don brought up something that was very interesting, that even though your parents were not physically there with you, the values that they had instilled in you still made you question if what I'm doing is right and wrong. And so I also want to say there is that component that maybe we, and we don't have to be right next to them, but we've already instilled things that they will then reflect and be self-aware. Am I making the right decision? And they're not going to always follow through with the right one. We would want them to, but then what? And so it's really you're bringing up a lot of really cool things. Well, and and I guess I would add playing the, you know, whatever you want to call it, devil's advocate, but we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Snapchat. I wasn't recording the bad mistakes that I made. It, does that make a difference? Is that a genuine, legitimate fear that parents may have that, I, you know, we weren't recording anything? Sorry, that's a it's it's a tough. I mean, I, that's a tough one. Yeah, I th- I think it's a combination of of that fact, the technology, and the different perspective on parenting. I think it's it's both are involved in this um, for sure. The uh, what was it you you just you made a point, Stephanie, just a moment ago. 
about self-awareness or your parents aren't physically there with you, but they, the values they've instilled in you are, are there? Yeah. So our parents growing up, I think were more authoritarian. We had a healthy fear of consequences from them. So we did leave the house realizing, okay, (laughs) if, uh, if I make a bad choice, there's going to be some dire consequences when I get home. So that might be a difference as well. We did, they instilled these things in us, but we also had a healthy fear as we left the house and we were out of their, out of their range of supervision. Uh, those thoughts crossed our mind and, and kind of molded our behavior. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. What advice would you give yourself as a new caregiver if you could go back and just do that? Well, that's a great question. I think I would be more intentional. So I would be thinking of ways, how can I allow my children the opportunity to be self-monitoring, an opportunity to be independent, let them get out of my sight, um, but maybe temper that because, you know, we do still have those fears like, okay, go play on the playground. It's three blocks away. I don't know who you're with or who you're around. How do we give our kids those opportunities but still – keep them safe. Well, I think, I think maybe the solution is give them those opportunities, but maybe you drive by the playground and from a distance you see, you know, okay, there they are. All right. I'm, I feel good about that. They're, they're okay. They're safe. They don't know that I've done that. I'm not interfering with their, uh, what they're doing socially and, and their play and their creativity. I'm not monitoring it. I'm not, but I am maybe from afar, just checking, and maybe that as a parent uh, nowadays would, would help us feel comfortable. Okay, I feel good with that situation. I didn't really intervene, but yet I, I did kind of check on it from afar. So I think I would be thinking more, I'd be way more intentional about their creativity, letting them explore things. I got to explore the wilderness. I got to be miles from home at a young age in creeks and I got to build things, build forts. I got to climb trees. I had no business climbing uh, as high, you know, as high as I did. Uh, you know, we got to build bike ramps and uh, got to play in the snow until you're just about frozen and it was about dark. I think I would have provided my kids more of those opportunities just to go play, be somewhere without me. Maybe that's Northwoods Park. Maybe it's, you know, but go somewhere and just, you kids, here's what we're going to do. You're just going to spend the day here for a couple hours. We'll come back and get you. And I know that sounds kind of crazy now in these days, but that's not even close to what we used to do as a child. And and my my parents loved me. My parents really cared about me. And I got to do those things. And so I think, how did those mold me as a person? I think they made me more resilient. I got to deal with a lot of conflict and difficulty and I got through it and there's a lot of uh, really legitimate self-esteem that's built in kids when they're able to accomplish things and get through things themselves. Wow. I I mean, and I was like reminiscing that whole time about my childhood and I grew up in this area and I think about the woods that overlook I-74 going into Peoria. I spent all, I mean, I would spend hours and hours up there on a motorcycle Mm -hmm. and it was like my dad would tell me make sure you got enough gas you got extra spark plugs and then boom I was gone and I I can't even I was driving a tractor a 1937 Alice Chalmers tractor four miles 
from my dad's house, my mom and dad's house, to my grandma and grandpa's house. Seven. I could barely touch the clutch. I'd have to, like, move (laughs) forward. I mean, now, what would you... I'm pretty sure as a parent, I would probably get arrested if I let my seven-year-old drive a tractor. But, I mean, you just did it. And I never had any problems. It goes back to that. I think it's a legitimate fear sometimes. That is yeah. that is true. If you don't have your kid in a car seat. Oh yeah. Um, or if you you know there there is that reasoning for the fear. And I I love the suggestions that you gave Dr. Smack about what you would do, because that's an intentional practice that keeps your kids safe, but also scaffolds for them yeah. the ability to problem solve. And you're still in the vicinity and you're still um, allowing them to problem solve and have self-esteem opportunities and conflict resolution and self-management. You just named a lot of social emotional components or character ed, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think that's a, was really neat to hear you say. Well, and I wonder too, it's kind of going back to another point that did you feel like other parents were watching you were uh, parenting you, I don't know if parenting is the right word, but like I think about that and because of the friendships that my parents had built, I had friends, my mom's friends and dad's friends were all over East Peoria. So I don't know that I thought about that, but I think that's how my parents found out the one time that I didn't spend the night at somebody's house that I was supposed to be spending the night. It, I think that's how they found out. I think a neighbor's like, hey, I, you know, Absolutely. I think all parents were kind of in general watching out for you and uh, but still at the same level where they weren't monitoring your every move. And and parents they, of other kids, of friends of yours or cousins of yours, uh, they would discipline you just like your own parents. And you didn't run home and complain like, oh, you know, he yelled at me or he made us do this or that. I mean, there wasn't any, I didn't want to, I wouldn't want to tell my parents that, right? I would deal with the discipline <laughs> and it wouldn't be like, I'm, uh, you know, making launching a complaint against another parent. Whereas I think today, if the neighbor yelled across at you to at, at your child to get out of the yard or whatever it might be, I think the, the child would come and complain. And then the parent would have a complaint against the parent or the neighbor why did you yell at my child? And there'd be this big discussion about the discipline that another person uh, posed on your, on your child. Whereas in my day, you just dealt with it at the time and you accepted it and like, okay, (laughs) I just got yelled at by some, by another adult. (laughs) So there's, there's definitely that. And, you know, when I think of conflict resolution, so another, like a practical thing, what would I have done with my own kids um, is the conflict resolution within your house. Um, You know, when I was a, when I was a, a kid, I had a, a brother, and we'd often fight and quarrel about different things, whatever it happened to be. And my parents didn't come into the scene and say, "Okay, tell me what the problem is. Let me let's talk through this." No, they said, "Get out of the house, both of you. Get out. You're too loud. Get out." They didn't. They didn't work to uh, navigate the conflict. But today, we would try to talk through that and and help each other understand. And so I wonder, okay. Would I, when we were kicked out of the house, we were left looking at each other going, okay, now what do we do? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? We'd end up working it out. Like, okay, all right, we'll get past this. Let's go find something to do. And uh, it, didn't get, it didn't get remedied by my parents, but in a way it did, you know, and we were forced to navigate our own conflict. So 
I know there's, um, you know, there's degrees of that. Some, there are cases when, you know, parents really do need to intervene in those situations. And, but maybe there's sometimes there's, you don't have to, and you don't have to, uh, get into every little detail of what's going on with the child. So I think it's just, it's difficult for a parent to think, okay, how would I navigate that? And so when I think, when I'm reflective, I think in my, with my own kids, maybe there, there were some times when I didn't really need to know the whole story of what was going on with the conflict. And I could just say, you know, you two need to work it out. Yeah. Once again, I'm convicted. That must be a component of concierge because I've had, I have two boys and a girl and my boys will physically fight, which is something that was different to me. And I'd want to talk it out. And before we even get over the talking it out, they're over it. And I'm like, wait, I'm still upset about what just happened. And they're just ready to, to move on. And so you're, what you're saying is I, next time I've taken a takeaway, next time I'm just going to step back. And, and honestly, they're getting older, so it happens less, but I would, I'd want to talk about it. And they're like, there's really nothing to talk about. I just got mad and he got mad and yeah. then they're over it. So that's funny that you brought that up. So when I was, when I was young and I was at my grandma's house and all the cousins were there, we had myriads of cousins and anytime you get in a conflict with one of the cousins or even your sibling, my grandma's rule was if you get, if you two are arguing, it's simple. You sit on the couch and you hold each other's hand. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so no conflicts rose to the level of grandma. We, we worked it all out so that that didn't have to happen. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. That's so, great. well, I, anything that you'd like to say as we bring this to a close? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of information out there. I've, I've just in my own interest started studying some things about parenting styles, and you hear thing you hear terms like free range parenting, and uh, you know parents who let their kids kind of run a little bit to a certain degree. Um, something to look into. There's a book out there called Fifty Risky Things to Let Your Kids Do, and it's an interesting read. You know, do you let your kids start a fire or climb a tree or you know, I think of when I was a little, I caught snakes. Would you let your kid just go out and catch snakes and frogs? And no, no, you probably wouldn't. Well, mine right? love it. Oh they yeah, do mine it, did. Yes. Well, my son did as well. So there's there's things like that out there. I, there's a general concept out there called anti fragility. I don't know if you've ever heard of mm-hmm. have you heard that term. So that's that's the general concept that some things get become stronger and more healthy when they're subjected to difficulty. And, you know, there's a few analogies to that. Obviously, muscles get stronger when you work them and they're, you know, they're actually harmed in the short term, but in the long term, they're stronger. Or there's the analogy of a butterfly when it's trying to get itself out of a cocoon. They say that if you try to help it out as it's struggling to get out of the cocoon, if you actually try to help it out because you think you're, you're, you're helping it, it will die because it needs the struggle to gain strength in its wings, to dry itself out, and at least that's what they say. So there's these, this idea out there that kids are anti-fragile. They really need stress and uh, difficulty, conflict to build coping skills and resilience and to become stronger. So just some interesting concepts out there. I highly recommend people look into that and consider ways that they can be intentional and maybe let loose the reins a little bit, but still find ways to keep their kids safe. I love it. I do too. You really Thanks. shared a lot of ways to up the yeah. odds that our kids will be 
um, doing great when we're no longer around them. So that was awesome. Yeah. Again, we really appreciate you coming on at first guest. Um, I'm sure we will have many more. And I, the whole time you were talking there, I was like productive struggle, productive struggle, something that I think we will probably do an episode on, you know, that idea of it's not just with caregivers, it's with teachers. How do we get kids to struggle just enough that it doesn't harm them, but builds resilience. it builds resilience. So, all right, with that, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Care You and for showing up for the children in your care. Until next time.